0: Welcome to the iDestiny podcast. We hope this message blesses you.
1: How about what do you want me to talk on? Do you have any choice? Do you have a preference?
0: I love it when people talk about their failures. I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> not really good at that. Yeah. Um, but, like, I don't know, I love being inspired as well, being encouraged. I
1: don't know. What's been, what have people told you about life after school so far? What's been the main thing that you've heard people say?
0: Mm, yeah, Sophie just spoke about how she... Um, yeah, just about her life okay. <laughs> afterwards and how she how she dealt with going to church and mm. not going to church and how she found Jesus in all of that. Okay. just cool to hear the stories
1: yeah okay. but one more question then I'll tell you some stories what is your biggest expectation of life after school and what is your biggest fear of life after school or a fear <laughs> doesn't have to be your biggest or a
0: expectation I think just walking more in the Awareness of being with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't know if there's anything I'm really fearful about. It's good. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. I don't also don't really have fears, I think. Maybe because going to study and all that stuff. It's mm. not really... So you know what's next? Yeah. Um, Expectation. Just, as Mark said, and also just doing more. Not just living my own pretty Christian life. Okay. Okay, Josh. Um,
1: <clears throat>
0: so my expectation... Uh, just living life with Jesus which to me just seems to be incredible the that's way to live life but even more fully and just kind of going into that journey with him even deeper and deeper and deeper mm-hmm. and um, yeah just still kind of moving through and sifting through and burning off old crap um, along the journey yeah. uh, which you know kind of leads me to the fear as well of you know I just don't like stuffing up I don't like doing that Mm. I don't like failing I mean I do like it because I get to grow but I don't like it when it hurts people along the way I don't like hurting people Mm. Um, and as well my other fear is I feel like God has given me something to really do and to to do for him and it's almost kind of like giving up a lot of my current life mm. and going, handing over my life to God and that's kind of scary because I've got to fully live in faith then Yeah, you know I've got to really fully whole, wholeheartedly live in faith and I feel like that's what I'm called to do, that's what he wants me to do but um, well, that's really scary mm-hmm. so I think I'm Yeah, I'm just feeling that at the moment Okay
1: Well, I'll pick up on a few of those things Because the reason I want to ask you that Is I don't want to just sit here and tell you about my life Because that's great But actually if I can pick up what you're thinking What you're feeling Then actually I just get to speak a bit about Just, you know Maybe my thoughts or my experiences Of where you're coming from in that Um, And it's an interesting one of Do you know, trust You only learn to trust when actually you really have to And, um I am just going to jump through different testimonies. So you can probably listen to some more of my life story on some other iDestiny podcast. So I'll just jump through. And I've lived in a lot of countries. I've done a lot of things. I think at last count I've been in 33 countries. I've lived on three continents. Um, You know, I've done a lot in the last 10 years. And a lot of that, a lot of my life since 2010 has been iDestiny. So I did iDestiny for five months. In my head, I was going to go straight back to Africa... Um, And I always told Timo, after five months, I'm going to go. And he always used to just laugh at me and say, we'll see. And um, he used to drive me nuts because I knew what I was going to do. And um, at the end of it, I felt Jesus actually asking me to give up everything that I thought my life was going to look like um, and actually stay and do my destiny in an intern for... And I kind of told Timo, well, I'm not going to stay until January. I'm just going to to go back to Africa at Christmas. I'll stay for a few months, but I know I'm going. And eventually Jesus just told me, actually, I want you to stay until I tell you it's time to go. So that's what I had to do. So I had to lay down, at the end of my school, I had to lay down everything that I thought I was going to do. So before school, I'd been a missionary in South Africa for two years, three years. Um, I'd helped set up a children's village, done all sorts of stuff, absolutely loved what I was doing and had to kind of give all of that up and... So then I stayed and helped run Our Destiny for three years, um, led all of their outreaches, did a lot of teaching. Um, after that time, I ended up going back to Africa for a bit, but then lived in Jordan. So I lived on the border of Syria for two years, and I worked with the refugees up there. Um, just got to be Jesus to a whole load of people and see Him do phenomenal things amongst the refugees. Um, and then now I work with guys and girls that are coming out of prison or are really struggling with alcohol and drug dependency. So that's my last 10 years in <laughs> two minutes for you. Um, but it's an interesting thing of... You only often realise how much you trust Jesus when you have to. And so one of the main things that I learnt when I was in Jordan was this. Actually, where where is my trust and where do I find my comfort? And I think it's one thing that's... It was... And when I went to Jordan, I know this is a bit bizarre, but when I went to Jordan was the first time actually that I'd left Kingsway, really. So because I'd been here and I'd finished school, but actually I was still in Kingsway, I was still in Eye destiny, I was still teaching, I was still surrounded by people who, you know, cheered me on, championed me, were teaching me, kind of all of these things. And so when I stepped into the desert in Jordan, and it was in this tiny little village, nobody spoke English, you know, it's 100% Muslim, and the desperation of refugees was just, you know, people are dying all the time. You could hear the bombs dropping across the border. Do you know, from a world level, it's horrendous. It's desperation. Um, so that was my first encounter of, okay, so what does life after Kingsway look like? Um, and it made me realise very quickly the things that I still found comfort in that are not necessarily bad things. But actually it was things that you, I still found that I was putting before Jesus. And it was things like, I missed corporate worship. I missed being able to go for a coffee with Sharon when I was having a bad day. I missed, do you know, being able to go for a walk or being able to watch a movie. And if I gave you this list of things that my life looked like, it was really good. Do you know going to church is phenomenal, and go, you know, enjoying prayer meetings, and wanting to be in Kingsways worship, and wanting to have time with Sharon, all are really, really good things. But what I found as soon as I was taken away from that, is they were the things that I turned to first. And it was only when those things were taken away, it was actually, okay, so where is my trust in Jesus? Where is actually my comfort coming from? And um, it was a lesson I had to learn really quickly, because all of a sudden, I wasn't even allowed to walk through the streets by myself. So. I like just taking myself out for a walk it's if i 'm having you know if I need to just clear my head, I like just going for a walk, and that's how me and Jesus talk and that's how you know I get perspective on things well all of a sudden i couldn't do that anymore, and i couldn't watch movies and i couldn't do all of these things that actually um, I found that actually without realizing had become higher than just me and Jesus um and one of the biggest things I'd always talk about when I used to teach the school is it's such a hard thing that the, the main thing that we want to be able to teach you guys is intimacy with Jesus, and it's the only thing we can't teach. Because I can tell you what me and Jesus looks like, and I can tell you how I talk to him and how I spend time with him and how I learn, and, and I can tell you all of that, but it's not going to look the same for you. Because Jesus doesn't want you and him to look like you like him and me. And so, do you know, we can show you pointers, and I have the same with the guys that I'm working with now, of my biggest dream is when they leave me, they're more in love with Jesus, and they know him more than when they started. And it's they learn their dependencies on him. And so, do you know, just a heads up, that sometimes that is one of the challenges you'll face when you leave, of actually you miss things, but actually in that place... He still tells you that you lack nothing. Do you know, he tells you in Psalm 23 and again in James 1 of just what does it mean for you in your life, no matter where you are, no matter what's going on, that you lack nothing. And all of that said in context. context. I love the contradictions in the Bible of absolutely you lack nothing but Jesus, but then at the same time, he puts you in community for a reason. Do you know, he didn't create us to be by ourselves. So there is that, Do you know, probably... (laughs) tallied into that but maybe secondary as well if goodbyes are gonna hurt so actually saying goodbye after five months in school so much of what we talk about is you know there is hope and there is joy and actually do you know the kingdom is peace joy and righteousness you get to take that with you wherever you go and I can vouch that you know I can sit in the middle of a war zone and know that you can have peace and joy but at the same time I want you to know it's perfectly okay that goodbyes hurt And it's perfectly okay that actually, at the end of this school, it might feel a bit like grief. Because you've made connections with people that actually you are going to have to say goodbye to. And you've built a life that actually things are going to change. And actually, I want you to know, Jesus says that we're to mourn with those who mourn. He doesn't make us for disconnection. So any time that you actually have to say goodbye to someone, it's okay that it hurts. So when I left Jordan... I'd been there for two years. The Syrian refugees were like my family. They're the only people that we really had out there. So for me, the way I do life, the way I do mission, ministry, I just love people. I don't know how to do anything different. I'm not good at doing anything different. So I just, I want real relationships with people. Not so that they come to Jesus. If they do, then phenomenal, because I want them to have abundant life. But actually, my aim is just to love whoever's in front of me. And um, so that's what I did in Jordan. But when you do that... It's actually really vulnerable because actually you form really deep relationships that then you're going to have to say goodbye to people. And actually that hurts. So I remember when it was a few weeks before I was leaving Jordan to come back to Manchester. And um, just sitting with Jesus and sort of like, how, how do I do goodbye as well? How do I finish well? How do I start the next chapter well? Because I know from doing it wrong that when I used to live in South Africa and I came back and... I found it really hard to transition back to life in England after being in South Africa and I upset a lot of people so my sisters and my best friends and a lot of my family because actually the way I would talk is I want to be in Manchester or I want to be in South Africa still and my heart's in South Africa and everything I've learnt's over there and what I would do is I'd just talk about actually I want to be over there and without meaning it, what I was saying to the people I love most is actually you're not good enough, here's not good enough and I don't want to be with you and so, again, I just encourage you to be careful of, yes, you know, brag about school, brag about what you've learned, but when you get home, the person in front of you is gonna be your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, your friends. And actually, that's where Jesus placed you when you get back. So when you're there, be there, be fully present. Because actually, I've hurt a lot of people along the way by not doing that. So when I came back from Jordan this time, I remember just asking Jesus of just, how do I do it well? And the only thing I have felt him say and I didn't like it Was let the goodbyes hurt Sort I was like That's not helpful Like come on You're meant to give me these words Of love and encouragement Peace and joy and it, But it was that thing of actually Linda the relationships you've built In this time in Jordan Are real And actually if it doesn't hurt When you've left Then actually have you really invested in people Do you know Have you actually given yourself Have you been vulnerable enough To really make relationships And if you have Then actually It's okay to miss it so, I know we're probably gonna talk about a lot of people this week with you if you know, when you get back, you get to take the fullness with you, you do. But at the same time, it's okay if it doesn't feel, you know, perfectly okay at the same time. Um, I can't even remember what I said in Um What else were you saying? Failing, you don't like to fail. I'm gonna promise you now you will. <laughs> Um, But you know It's interesting One of the things That I was going to speak To my boys about yesterday And we ended up Not doing it But um, Was so many people Have talked to me this week About how hard it is To forgive yourself And it's such an interesting thing of we're often very good at understanding or getting to understand what Jesus' grace means to us of actually, do you know what? He has fully wiped that slate clean. And um, do you know, I was looking up, I was looking all these up yesterday and I'm sure you've heard them all throughout the year of, do you know, when it talks about Jesus forgiving us and he talks about, in Isaiah 43, he remembers our sins no more. And in Hebrews 10, again, he talks about he just doesn't remember them. And then in Acts, he talks about how he's wiped out our transgressions. And the same in Isaiah. In 1 John, he talks about how he purifies us. In 2 Corinthians, he makes us a new creation. In Ephesians, he talks about how he gives us redemption, which is actually to redeem us as if nothing had happened. And it's that, in legal terms, it's like when a conviction is exonerated, is the word in English. So it's, they take away the conviction... And according to your record, it's as if it never happened. And this is the language all the way through the Bible, as if as if it had never happened. He talks about how he rescued us. He talks about how our sins are as far from the east as from the west. And, you know, the whole Bible is full of just picture after picture. He puts our sins underfoot and hurls our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And it's like... There are so many different pictures that he tries to explain how far away he's put those things. And to some extent, we listen to those things and we understand that, yes, that's Jesus' take on it, yet we don't align ourselves with it. Because how often do we then remember, well, actually, what was I like yesterday? What did I did? Do you know, five minutes ago or a year ago? And there's something so important about, actually, how do we start to have that about ourselves? And you know, one of the biggest things that somebody turned around to me yesterday and had this phrase of all behavior is communication. So everything you do, everything you see in other people's behavior is telling you something about that's what's going on inside. And so the biggest thing that I do with my the guys and girls right now with when they have a bad day, they're back using heroin. They're having drug overdoses like I'm visiting hospital beds, like they're having really bad days (laughs) you know that's just my life right now so this afternoon I have to go back to a boy that I know is back on heroin like that's what my afternoon looks like and it's okay how do we walk through that Um, but it's what do we think about ourselves so one of the things that I'm really keen to tell them is like behaviour is only ever a symptom There's nothing that we do that is not a symptom of something that we're first believing and then we're thinking and then we're acting and it all starts with that and if we only ever focus on the behaviour we're plucking off the fruit and I'm sure you've heard this all throughout school, but that's not where the problem is. So I scare some of my managers and my directors at work when I tell them that I'm not bothered by people taking drugs. I am because it hurts them and it hurts other people and I don't want them doing it. But the problem isn't the drugs. The problem isn't the crime the problem isn't the violence the problem is something deeper the problem is something that's hurting and so i heard this definition once that sin is a is a symptom of disconnect from god if there's any area that i'm hurting myself or hurting the people around me there's just something in that that i'm still believing that lie that actually i'm still just living out something that isn't true and so in all of that we are going to mess up, we are going to make mistakes, we are going to hurt other people, we are going to hurt ourselves, we are going to probably, you know, make stupid decisions. But actually, there's something in knowing that those decisions generally are just coming from something inside that isn't quite believing truth yet. And it's back to, okay, so how do I get to start believing that again? What do I believe about myself? Do I believe what he says? And so Bill Johnson always has this phrase of, I don't want any thoughts in my head about me that God doesn't have in his thoughts about me. And like, I wish I could tell you I lived that well. <laughs> I teach it well. But like, hands up if you ask like when we're struggling, I was sat almost in tears again this morning with one of my directors pleading him to take away part of my job because I hate doing it right now because in my head I don't do it very well and I don't think I can do it and I come out with all of these things that as I'm saying them I know they don't line up with what Jesus says about me but that's how I feel right now and so that's how I'm behaving right now and it's but actually how do I start to align my thoughts with what he's saying because that's the only thing when when something is you know up there's always going to be the root of it somewhere because it is only ever going to be a symptom it's only ever going to be a working out and so one of the things so I've just finished I got my um my invitation yesterday to go to my graduation ceremony I've just actually got a graduate diploma in theology so I'm now officially allowed to come and speak um, so I was invited yesterday to my graduation you're um, a hmm? Your reverend not quite <laughs> It is in Chester Cathedral, though. I'm quite impressed. Um, But I've loved how much it's given me the access to dig into the Bible in ways that I would never have done by myself. So I am a bit of a geek, so I love studying anyway. But as much as I love this book, there's no way I study it as much... There's no way I would have studied it as much in the last two years without a deadline of an assignment and somebody saying that they're going to read it and criticise it (laughs) as I have done. Because we'd be given, like, two or three verses and I'd have to go and read, you know, 15 books on the thing and I'd have to really figure out between me and Jesus, actually, what do I think about it? Like, where do I stand on it? And then I'd have to write 2,000 words on it. So, you know, they'd give us two verses and I'd have to write 2,000 words on it. Most of the time, if I'm doing my Bible with Jesus, that's not what... you know, it looks like. But I've loved that it's given me the opportunity to really dig into just what I really believe on a deeper level. But in context of what we were just talking about, probably my favourite thing that I've picked out of the entire two years of studying is this idea of what righteousness is, and actually this idea of what is right living. And um, Genesis... I always forget if it's 1819 or 1918... 1819. So it's talking about Abraham, and he's just met with God, and Isaac's birth has been promised. And then it there's this verse, and it says, For I have chosen him, and in most in most um, Bibles it talks about I've known him. And it's God talking about Abraham. So God has known Abraham that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. Which was kind of, you know, the abundance of life and the promise of Isaac and just the multitudes that come after him. And so the reason I had to write this essay, so I had to write 2,000 words on this one verse. But the one that they wanted me to pull out was the fact of the way of the Lord really means the same all the way throughout the Bible as righteousness and justice. And what those two words, when you really start digging into the means, it's I love God and I love people. Because righteousness is just loving him and responding in a way that actually is lining up to just a healthy relationship with me and him. And justice is doing the same for other people. So in our world today, we talk about justice and we think it's about courts and laws and order. But actually, when you read it throughout here, it talks about justice is looking after the orphans. It's looking after the widows. It's feeding people. It's actually, it's so often it's about the poor. It's about the marginalized. So for justice, it's not about what's fair. It's about how do I love the people around me well? And so there's this concept in here that the way of Jesus is loving God and loving people well. And it's the first instance that it talks about righteousness in the Bible. And I love the context it comes in. So it says, for I have known, so God has known Abraham, and the fruit of that, it says, is righteousness. So if you unpack that a little bit... I would have told you this every time I spoke to you (laughs) I I'd have been here more No is my favourite word in the Bible Because go look it up Look it up in the Hebrew, look it up in the Greek There's a thing called Blue Letter Bible which is phenomenal You can look up the history of every single word in the Bible And it will give you all the context and what it actually means So this word no actually means to be intimately acquainted with So the first, I think it's mentioned about 10-15 times in the Bible before this one And so the first time it talks about it is Adam knew Eve and they conceived a son. And then every single time it's mentioned in Genesis, between Genesis 1 and Genesis 18, every time it talks about people, it's a man knew a woman and they had a child. And then all of a sudden it says God knew Abraham and the fruit was righteousness. Now for me that has just completely revolutionised my theory of what righteousness is because so often and you know not so much in this room or in Kingsway but we'll talk about righteousness as this list of things that we have to do for right living to look like but the first time it's mentioned it's a fruit of knowing him that actually if I'm intimately acquainted with God my life will look like it and I heard somebody say the other day that you can't separate relationship with Jesus and the go and it was very much in a kind of a Great Commission kind of speech. It was in a, you know, go and make disciples, go and do it, go and do it. And I can, you know, it's not kind of the message I preach so much. Because often that kind of message is very much about the doing. But actually, if you and Jesus are, look, are doing well, you will be doing that. And so sometimes it actually looks the same. So what we do is we focus on the fruit. We focus on the righteousness and think, okay, here's a list of what righteous living looks like. Let me try and do it. And actually it all stems back to actually it's a fruit. Let me focus on me and my father. The same, I, um, so I actually ended up writing the same essay 12 times throughout my course. (laughs) I then had to write an essay on the Beatitudes. And again, do you know, most people, it looks like, okay, that is a model of how I'm meant to live life. So the Beatitudes, it's, do you know, the merciful the hungry uh, the you know the spiritual hungry I can't even remember the list the meek persecuted poor in spirit, poor in spirit. Um, so you know, it's those it's the things that on the Sermon on the Mount Jesus goes through these things and said blessed are they for they will and so most people look at that list and think blessed are the meek. So actually I need to be meek to be blessed Again, the more you look into it The word blessed actually means to be godly or godlike And I absolutely love that Because actually it means if I'm godly My life will look like meekness So the answer to that is not to say Well actually I need to be meek to look godly It's actually okay Well how do I get to the root of what godliness is And that's just me and Jesus again So actually if I go back to just me and my relationship with Jesus The fruit of it will be meekness And so, if there's anything that's in my life, we could say the same of the fruits of the spirit. You know, the peace, joy. Again, my brain is not. Love, love, joy, Joy, peace, peace, peace,
0: We Used to sing as a song.
1: There we go. Those things. We, we often look at those, don't we, and think, I'm not patient, To so actually let me try and do that, or that's lacking, or this is lacking. And one thing that I love teaching my guys at the moment is, I actually, I do want them to look at their lives and question if they see those things. Do you see righteousness in your life? Do you see the fruits of the Spirit? Do you see the fruits of the Beatitude? Like, do you actually see those in your life? But if you don't, or if you see areas where it's lacking, not to try harder... To actually plug into Jesus in those bits. Yeah. Actually, if I'm not feeling patient, okay, what is it that I'm thinking, believing? Why am I responding like that? What is it that frustrates me? What is it that, do you know, is there areas that actually I need to forgive others, that I need to forgive myself? Because we were talking about the trust a minute ago, weren't we? And, do you know, we always trust something. And if we're not trusting Jesus, it's often experience. Or if it's often where we've been hurt. So, do you know, we build those walls up and actually... The way I respond is often to do with how things have happened in the past, not what's happening right now. And again, one thing that I love walking through with the guys and girls I work with because they've never thought like that before. So when they're tired, for me to be able to sit with them and say, actually, you're just responding out of tiredness right now. So yesterday, perfect example, it was hot. They've worked all weekend at a wedding. So all of my team members yesterday are exhausted and they're hot. But they actually... They <laughs> Don't know if I should say this day. I will. They're a bit like teenagers or toddlers. Joe, you know, if they're hot, they're responding <laughs> in ways that aren't always particularly wholesome or fruitful. But actually, to get them thinking about the fact that actually you're just tired. Like, listen to yourself. How are you feeling? What are you thinking? Where is that coming from? Because again, the behaviour isn't the problem, it's where is it coming from. So sometimes it is as simple as you're tired. Like, Jesus often when I had a few moans at him a while back and eventually it was just after that and I go to bed mm-hmm. and actually you wake up and you realise that actually it wasn't the catastrophe that I thought it was it wasn't me having like, you know, a big spiritual and mental breakdown I'm just, I'm exhausted <laughs> and I need some sleep <laughs> but sometimes, you know, we hugely overestimate, don't we what's going on and thinking, actually, you know um, but I, I just, I love that the idea of righteousness is a fruit And so, third essay, wrote exactly the same on it, of this question of, is Jesus a model for humanity? I think this is really key in how you'll live out your life from here, of, is Jesus something you look at in here and you want to copy? And I remember having this debate, so at the time when I was writing this essay, I was living in a house with guys who had just come from prison, and I'd have them debating of, like, is he a model for humanity? And it's like, yes, absolutely, I want to copy Jesus. And so, but here's my problem with that. If you have a model of something that you're copying, it doesn't actually mean that you're like that person to start with. Because a model is something that you look at and it's an imitation of something greater. So if you make a model railway or you make a model of a car, it's never going to be as good as the first one. If you make, you know, if you try and copy a model on a catwalk, You're never going to look the same. You're never actually fully going to be the same as the thing you're trying to copy. And so actually within that, we then give ourselves excuses of, well, actually, I'm not Jesus. So this is why I I kind of fall down. This is why my life doesn't look like that, because I'm just trying to copy. But the reality is that he's the firstborn of all creation, which means... Do you know, when you are a new creation, you have exactly the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead in you. You've got exactly the same power as he has when he walks on earth. So instead of using the word model for the scientists in the room, prototypes a much better word because actually he is the perfect example of who you are. And I think if we think in terms of it's something that we just get to copy rather than actually his Holy Spirit relationship, his relationship with the Holy Spirit and with his father, actually something that we can fully plug into. So we don't look at his behavior and think, well, actually, if I'm going to, if Jesus is a model where I copy behavior, actually, I don't copy behavior, I copy what the behavior was sourced from and that's his relationship with his father and the Holy Spirit so I look at the life of Jesus and think actually I want it to look like that but I don't get it to look like that by copying it I get it to look like that by having the same relationship he did does that make sense? Mm -hmm. and I know for me that's one of the biggest things especially in the last year because Jim my job is challenging so when I'm talking about you know we are going to fail my job is to walk people through failing that's actually what I get paid to do or um, well, in my terms, I just, my job description doesn't quite define it like that. But do you know, I get given guys and girls who have been in prison, who have been in rehab, who have met Jesus and want to live differently. They don't want to be back where they were. They don't want to be taking drugs. They don't want to be stuck in addiction. They don't want to be stuck in brokenness. But if you hear the stories of the people I live with and I work with it's utterly horrendous Do you know like they've all been through abuse they've seen violence they've grown up with addicts for parents they've known nothing different and so what happens is a bit like when I was saying that I go to Jordan and suddenly I don't know where to find my comfort because I don't have you know corporate worship or sharing anymore it's you take away what's numbed their pain for all of their life and actually we need to teach them how to fill that with Jesus Because me just taking away the alcohol doesn't take away the problem because the alcohol, the drugs, the sex, the violence were only ever covering something up that hurt underneath. And if you ask them, you'll hear their stories. And so for me, the problem isn't, well, actually, how do I fix the behaviour? It's, okay, so what's going on underneath? How do we get Jesus into those places? And it's one of these massive conundrums in my life right now that I fully know Jesus has done it all. But actually... What that looks like for me on a day in day out basis is we walk through the process and it's hard and it's painful and it involves some messing up. But what happens is every time they mess up, when we get to do it in a place that there's no shame and there's no fear and actually there's no condemnation, they learn from it, they learn not to hide it, they learn why they made that choice and they learn how to plug into Jesus in the midst of it. So next time, it doesn't happen as bad or it doesn't happen as quick and it's, you know, actually we see the journey of it and so, other people if you look from afar it's like but Linda this is the fourth time they've done it and you think but I'm celebrating Of yeah but look they only drank alcohol this time (laughs) which do you know it's still on our terms looks like messing up if you still look at it from a legalistic point of view it's but they're still making silly choices but actually they've responded quicker but actually they came straight to tell me this time and so I remember the first time when I was doing this in in the new job and do you know one of the reasons it's tough in my new job is because they've never run it like this before. <laughs> so I'm I'm creating quite a lot of difference because the only way that we've dealt with it is before is to come down hard and tell people they can't do it. And I just don't think telling people you can't do that is ever gonna help. <laughs> it's just Because it's not making it, it's not them making the choice. And so, you know, I joke about the fact they're like toddlers and teenagers. I don't treat them like that, but actually, to some extent, it's the same thing. They're learning freedom for the first time, and when you learn freedom, sometimes you make silly choices as you go, and you learn from them. And so, in the people in my life, I have to learn to have a lot of grace with them. But actually, like we were saying a minute ago, and I think we'll come back to that point in a minute, I find it harder for myself than I ever do for them. There's something about how do you allow yourself to have the same grace for yourself that you'll have for other people. Because, do you know what? Or for people who you think should know better. So this is the biggest sticking point in my job right now. There's a couple that... Or, like, there's a couple of people that I get to manage and I do not have the same grace levels for them as I have for my team members because in my head they should know better. Do you know? And it's different do you know, it's, They're not going out <laughs> Doing the same kind of things But for me it's like The way they respond, the way they react I struggle to have the same amount of grace for them As I do for my team members And so I had to do this evaluation A couple of months back And one of the things on my form is How gracious are you? And you have to, you have to like comment And mark yourself as part of our Employee review Of how gracious are you and so um and I gave myself a pretty low mark and my manager was sort of like, Linda, come on, you've we've never known anybody to show so much grace to our team members. Why why are you doing that? You're just marking yourself down and I said, Well actually, because I know and I'm being honest with them as I was with myself, I know my grace levels to my employees is nowhere near the level it is for the ones that have come out of prison. And so in my head, actually, the most honest way of looking at myself in that situation is not to say, well, I'm a three with these people, but a nine with them, so actually I'll make myself a six. Actually, if I'm a three with anybody, then actually that's what's needed working on. And I'm, do you know, not from a place of condemnation, because there is none, but actually pretending that's not there isn't helping me grow with Jesus. Do you know, looking at the bits I'm doing well and actually not at the bits that don't particularly look like Jesus, actually isn't hugely helpful either. So, I remember looking at this and actually that's the bit that I got to focus on. But the thing is, I know that if I am a three with my employees, I'm probably a one with myself. And so I had this conversation with one of the girls that I mentor at work. Um, she's one of the staff. but I just get to meet with her for coffee and just cheer her on. She's phenomenal. And um, she, um, <laughs> she scraped up one of our company cars this week, like majorly against a post like as she was leaving work not even with another car like the whole way down two doors it's dented it's scraped all the paints coming off it like it's a bit of a mess and she feels horrible about it and she had the i was talking to her the other day and i was sort of you know it happens it's insured you know it is what it is we'll get on with it and um She turned around and said, but I wish it was my car because then I'd be the one having to pay for it. And I was just sort of like, ooh. Because (laughs) I know, I was in the same instance a couple of years back, about 10 years ago now, in South Africa. I was driving an automatic car and I was staying with this family and he had these two prize motorbikes. They were his babies. Like, one was this big... BMW thing, and then there was one that I'm pretty sure it was his dad's, and it was like 60 years old or something. So anyway, this automatic car <laughs> jolted forward because I didn't realise they went forward without doing anything, and it slightly nudged his bike. But that nudge made one bike fall over on top of the old bike, and then dealt with both of these bikes on the floor. <laughs> and He comes walking out, and it was like, yeah, you know, I think the only thing they broke on him is a mirror off one of off the old one. But it was just a really interesting lesson for me of I wanted to pay for it. I wanted to do something to pay for it because that was my mistake and actually I need to feel that I've done something. And, you know, he was very gracious of just like, you know what, I'm happy to fix it. I forgive you. It's done. But for days and for weeks, I'd keep bringing it up and eventually he was just sort of like, actually, Linda, you really need to just learn to accept it. But it was so hard because I knew it was my fault. I knew and I knew I could do something to help do you know in my head I've got the money to pay for it I've got the money to do something about it and it should hurt my wallet not yours and so this girl was saying the same this week "Of actually I wish it was mine I wish I could do something to pay for it and it was really interesting to just sit down and say because we'd had the same discussion the day before about how all of my guys and girls especially when they've come through prison finding forgiving themselves really 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 hard to do They can kind of understand Jesus forgives them. But at the same time, they'll still pray every day for, please forgive me, please forgive me for what I've done. But actually, it's the forgiving themselves, especially when they know they've hurt people. So, you know, some of the guys I work with have done really pretty serious things. Like, they really have hurt people and families to the extent of... I have and do work with people who have seen people die because of what they've done. Do you know, it's just... One of the boys I work with, and he tells this openly, he injected his brother with heroin that killed him. Like, he lives with that day in, day out. And, you know, I'm not saying I live with those kind of things, but I know that even on a smaller level, that's the biggest thing of actually, how do I actually really apply that to my life? I say I believe it, but unless I really live it, do I really believe it? And so, (laughs) the other thing that I did in every single essay this year... Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this phrase of only the obedient believe and what he means in that is if I'm not living it out then I actually don't believe it and so I think I was telling the last time I was at school this that it really challenged me that I say that I believe in praying for the sick I say that I believe that in raising the dead but I don't practice it do you know I do in some scales that But it's actually, if I really truly believed it, every single time I was sick, every single time somebody had the smallest thing wrong with them, there would be something in me that would rise up and say, that's not okay, and I'd do something about it. But because I don't, it actually tells me more about what I believe. And so what I did in response to this challenge at the time was to go and buy a dead plant. I went to Wilkinson's, and I went and found the deadest plant I could find, and I bought it. And the person at the till thought I was nuts. And she was sort of like, are you sure, are you, sure you want this one? Because there were loads of beautiful plants I was sort of, yes please, I'm doing an experiment <laughs> And so I had to explain to this woman why I was doing it But for me, and I have to say the plant died an even deader death than it was already But if I say I believe it, am I living it? And if I'm not living it, do I actually believe it? So I say that I believe I'm forgiven. But actually if I can't do it to myself, do I actually truly believe it? And so, you know, actually learning, okay, how do I apply that to myself? Because it's it's so much easier to apply it to other people. But actually, how do I apply that to myself when I mess up? When I then think I should know better? Because this will be one of the things, you'll go back home and it's like, but actually, I've sat through five months of teaching. I've learned all about grace. I've learned all about this, that, and the other. I should know better. And actually, it was so bizarre that when Kingsway really started to kind of get a whole handle on the grace thing, I felt more condemned than I've ever felt in my life because I just didn't get it. And it was this bizarre thing. And I remember sitting with Sharon and sort of like, I just don't get it. Like, I know what you're talking about. It must be good. It must be true. Don't get it. And then I'd walk away. Somebody would preach on grace and I'd walk away feeling worse than when I came in. And it went on for months, if not longer. And it was just because it was that our whole I should know better I should be able to I should be able to do this I should understand it I've learned it and it's but how do I kind of start applying that to me and again it just comes back to me and him I know it's very simple but it's how do I just plug that back to him if I'm going through that how do I plug into him like not trying to do things harder but however you connect with him however you talk to him however you develop relationship with him because I think one of the struggles sometimes when we get very Gracie is we start then to get a bit concerned that if we put disciplines in that they're going to become legalistic but actually disciplines can be really good at helping you form healthy habits do you know what actually somebody was saying at work the other day you know he challenged everybody who, who brushes their teeth every morning to keep their mouth healthy and everybody puts their hand up but actually sometimes we start to criticise people who put their bible up religiously every morning but actually if that's going to keep you healthy then actually there's nothing wrong with disciplines. There's something wrong if that turns into something that isn't including Jesus in the Holy Spirit, if that is just me picking up and reading words. But actually, if me cultivating me in Jesus looks like actually I need to make sure I spend time with him. And again, it will look different for you than it looks different for me. Um, I really think Jesus knows your love language as well. Like he... <laughs> um, I think he'll talk to you and he'll interact with you on the way that really means something to you. So for me, it is very much, let's go for a walk together. Let's, do you know, I used to go on date nights with Jesus. I'd purposely take time out where I'll go and I'll sit and have coffee or I'll go for a meal intentionally to be with Jesus. And you know, people do look at you as if you're nuts when you <laughs> sit there and it's just... Because I went through a stage of I'd take myself for really nice meals as well. And it is really awkward to start with, but actually, if I would do this for a friend... Why don't I do the same for him? And it really challenged me once of, actually, if I treated my friends like I teach Jesus, I sometimes wouldn't have very good friends. I think a lot of them would actually have given up. Because there's often that actually, do you know, a lot of the time it is just me when I'm tired, or it's just an afterthought, or it's me asking for things. And Joe, you know, it's again, I don't want you to go away from any of that feeling condemned, but I do love the idea of challenging myself. I love asking myself questions, not because I want to feel bad and I want to try harder, but actually, yes, I'm fully satisfied. But there is so much more, and I don't want to be comfortable with where I'm at. And one of the biggest things I learned in Jordan was christians in jordan are not comfortable and christianity is not convenient so one of the boys that i worked with he was 20 years old and when he was 16 he watched his dad murder his sister in front of him because she refused to deny jesus because they were a really strict um muslim background and um so he watched his dad murder his sister And then he really struggled with that for a bit and he kind of went off the rails for a bit, but he ended up coming back and just knowing that, actually, if she believed that, I need to, I really need, if she thought it was worth that much, I need to figure out, actually, who this person is. And so he got to know Jesus. And from then on, you couldn't stop him telling people, and he knew what the cost was and he knew actually the persecution that could come from the clerics and from his family and the danger that there was but actually for him Christianity wasn't something that's meant to be convenient or comfortable, he knew who Jesus was and it was worth living for and it was worth dying for and there's another friend of mine that worked with kind of a lot of persecuted Christians in the Middle East and um, I remember talking to her about you know, blessed are the hungry or whatever, is it? what is that actual hunger and thirst for righteousness yes yeah. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and I remember talking to her about I think often the church in the Middle East or the church in this country the church in the West see hunger as a bad thing because we live in a culture that we like satisfaction we like to be satisfied we like to be comfortable we like things to be convenient And um, so we don't like hunger because if we're hungry, it means that we're not satisfied. So what we do is we fill ourselves, we're satisfied, then we crack on with things. So hunger is just kind of part of your day that is inconvenient and the quicker that we kind of bring a resolution to our hunger, the better. Now, the interesting thing is in Jordan and in most of the Middle East, they love food. Their whole life revolves around food and eating. And so I remember talking to her about this, and she just turned around and said, Linda, we love being hungry. We always want to be hungry, because if you're hungry, it means you can eat. And it's such a cultural difference, and at the time, she was just talking about actual food. And she was saying, we want to be hungry because we love our food so much, we want to be able to eat. And we can't eat if we're not hungry. We like hunger. And so then we started talking about it in a Jesus point of view of... And the same thing, so them in the church, they want to be hungry. They want to know that actually I'm not satisfied with where I'm at, but I know that there's a feast. Because they're not doing it for the sake of saying I'm hungry and there's lack. I'm hungry, but there's a feast. Hmm. And I think there's such a phenomenal change in a mindset of just, I want to be hungry for the feast before me. I don't want to be satisfied. And it was one of the biggest things I struggled with when I came back to England was how convenient and comfortable our culture is. And I still struggle with it. I'm sure, actually, do you know, even coming back from Malaysia, it's probably the same. Of, We just like comfort. We like convenience. We don't like people knocking on our doors without knowing they're coming. We don't feel comfortable going to knock on other people's door. We cook enough food for ourselves. We don't expect people to come in. Do you know, we don't like being inconvenienced. If it's not in the schedule, it shouldn't happen. Church should start and finish at a certain time. Prayer should look like this. Worship should feel like this. It's all about how I'm going to feel in the midst of it. And it's interesting how much of our culture we put into our Christian walk. And actually, one of the biggest things do you know if I, if I tell you one thing that I learned that I've tried to live out from my destiny, is Timo had this one phrase once of, "Never stop inconveniencing yourself for love's sake." Because love probably should be inconveniencing. Actually, if we're really loving people, it's not always going to be convenient, but it'll be worth it. And I put that on the post, I put something on Facebook yesterday about this guy who had spent his entire day doing my garden for no reason, other than love. Do you know, he's not... We are probably going to try and bless him and the neighbour who let us use her bins and the other one who used our electricity because, Joe, you know, the whole street was involved in doing up our garden and we weren't even home to see it. And it just made me think of, there is nothing that costs more than love. Do you know, it takes our effort it takes our vulnerability it takes us giving everything that we are to actually love well but at the same time when he cuz i was thinking that in terms of the cost of him that day it cost him a lot to do that for me but there's nothing i probably could have received more than actually that yesterday cuz yesterday i actually you know and i love jesus's timing in it yesterday i hadn't had a good day so to get home and be that loved Nothing was worth more than that. And actually, if we can learn to live like that, of actually, am I willing to pay the price to love whoever's in front of me? Not from a... Because here's the other thing. When you're in love, it isn't a sacrifice, is it? Do you know, like, when you first kind of in up with someone, you'll talk to them for all hours. There's nothing that's inconvenient, and then do you know, after a while, it's actually sorry. Bedtime's actually at ten o'clock. I'm not going to talk to you after that anymore. And do you know, we again, we start to get convenient in our relationships. Of, we'll do anything to start with, and then it all gets a bit comfortable and convenient, and we won't go the extra mile. Of you know, I remember the amount of times I've lived in houses where you know we don't, you don't even ask people genuinely how you are anymore, or you don't actually hug each other so i remember when i used to live with students you'd come to church and the instinct is we hug people we ask each other how we are and the same when i lived in jordan so we put it into part of our family life in a house of i'm just going to make that normal because the problem is when you live in a family together sometimes they're the quickest things to go actually do you spend time just finding out how the person in your house is do you come in even though you see each other every day and give each other a hug because actually, if I am gonna, if I was going to hug you if I saw you in church, then actually, why don't I do it every day? Am I inconveniencing myself to actually let you know, hey, I've seen you, I've known you, I've loved you? Um, and I guess that's kind of one of... that's probably my biggest... what I want life to look like. So when I was in Mozambique, just before I went to Jordan, I remember there were um, hundreds of kids... They weren't all kids. But there were hundreds of students at this school. Like, about 300 students. And it's the school that Heidi Baker runs. And so um, she had this session for days. It was like three days' worth of people coming up and telling us your dreams. So I listened to these people's dreams for days of just, I want to end sex trafficking. I want to... Jesus to be an in this distant nation. and do you know, phenomenal stuff. Like People had these massive dreams of, like, this is what I believe Jesus has put inside me. This is what I want to do with him for the rest of my life. And, it you know, they were good things. But I sat there for three days and I was just sort of like, Jesus, I don't have a dream. Like, there is <laughs> nothing in me that worth that feels worth saying. It was like, you know, someday I might like to get married and have kids. That's the only thing I could think about at the time. Do you know, not in a... I was obsessed with it, but it was like, yeah... I don't know, maybe one day that would be nice But there was no massive nation There was no, do you know, people group There was no Project So I was sat there and was just sort of like Jesus, you're going to have to tell me something Because if they give me that microphone Like, this isn't going to work well <laughs> And so um, But then what happened is After day two I actually started getting a bit sad for the people up there Because it was all about doing something It was actually, I don't want my life to be so sucked into one doing something that if that was taken away, I don't know what's left. Because again, I've done that before. Do you know, I spent three years in South Africa and it was so much a part of who I was. When I came back, I had no idea who I was in this country. So like for six months, I would walk the streets of London just in tears because it was like, I didn't know who I was, I didn't know how to be. I had so lost. Do you know, and yes, pour yourself into what you're doing, if you don't know who you are without it you won't know who you are with it without it with it without it have you ever watched air cool runnings do you know right at the end and he says like why did you cheat and he's talking to the coach of saying why did you cheat why did you you know go after that and um, he turns around and he says well son if you're not enough without it you'll never be enough with it and in that context he's talking about you know a gold medal but it's the same with anything if you're not enough without the ministry you'll never be enough with it if you're not enough without the relationship you'll never be enough with it Do you know if it's if that's lacking before it's getting something isn't going to fill that gap actually do you know do it from a place of wholeness. Go into relationships from a place of actually, I don't need it, but actually, I get to do it well. I don't need ministry, but actually, me and Jesus get to go and love these people. Um, should, should
0: it so? Should it feel like an inconvenience? What's
1: as well? that? It's
0: like you don't necessarily need it. It
1: actually inconveniences people. Well, and I think you
0: know, I was quite happy there. Yeah, but
1: well, and that's the thing because actually, when it it does start to be inconvenient, doesn't it? Because mm. actually, there is sacrifices involved. In loving people In giving up time In giving up And it's It's knowing what your yes is And it's knowing what your why is Because it is worth it It's worth it for relationships You know we make ourselves vulnerable In all sorts of Settings You know whether it's with friends Families Future wives You know There are It is going to be inconvenient And it is going to be uncomfortable And there are going to be things you sacrifice But actually Love is worth it Um but in the context of, so these people stood there and they were saying, but it's all about, you know, I want to do this, I want to do this. And I went back to my room, which was probably half the size of this room and the 13 of us living in it for three months. It was it was tiny. Um, it was inconvenient. It wasn't comfortable. Um, but Jesus, I felt him say, like, pick up a pen, I'm going to tell you what your dream is. And um, I picked up a pencil and I felt him tell me, like, Linda, I told you what a pen. And so I picked up a pen, and I was like, sort of, okay, I'm ready to write my dreams down, thinking, you know, it's going to be something... Wow. And um, it was, but not what I thought. And he said, just be, and as you go, love. And that was it. And just from that, I knew that actually it didn't matter if you put me in front of a king, if you put me in front of a school, if you put me with kids in the dirt, if you put me with drug addicts, if you put me in a in a red light district actually no matter where I am if you put me in the middle of a business office if you put me in a university actually if my job is to be and love whoever I'm with actually that's what his dream for my life is is to be the fullness of who he made me to be so in relationship with him and the fruits that come from it and actually that I choose to love whoever I'm with not from a point of I'm doing this so that you get saved I'm doing this so that I've got ticks to you know I can tick off that I've done ministry this week what if I just love for love's sake what if I just choose to love whoever I'm with and not kind of begrudge that for wanting to do something else so do you know it was perfect for me that actually after a a day of just frustration yesterday I got to sit and talk to Peter for 45 minutes and I was hungry I hadn't eaten it was like 7 o'clock by this point and actually it's but I just get to choose to love him I get to choose to listen, and actually, so much of that then just fed back into me. Um, and then, so the week after I felt Jesus tell me that, I um, heard about this opportunity to go to Jordan, so I ended up straight from there going to Jordan for two years, and do you know, the only strategy I had was to love people. I don't, I, do you know, I don't know how to do anything else. So, in the middle of the desert, they've got nothing, but actually, I've got something I can give if I can just sit with people. If I can sit with them at their lowest stuff if I can sit with them in their weakness, if I can just choose to love, if I can just choose to actually be who he would be to them, and so I did that for two years and you could probably listen to some other podcast to hear stories of what that looks like um, and so then I gave that up and I came back here and you know I've never worked with ex offenders before I've never been in a prison before I've never met anybody really who's been in prison before I've never worked with drug addicts before but the only thing I knew is that I know that love works and I'm not willing to compromise it and I can't, it's got to the stage now I don't have a plan B. I can not I can't, I, I'm not going to say well I'm going to love you and if this fails then actually here's my list of how to fix you it's just well actually I'm just going to keep loving you and actually if you keep making stupid choices I'm going to keep doing it um, and so that's my job right now and do you know, honestly my biggest challenge is learning still to do that to myself and I think it always will be because you look, the enemy isn't going to whisper to you about other people so much. It's much easier to tell you your own fallings and your own things. And it's just, you know, how do we stop ourselves believing those? How do you, when you start to recognize those, what do we do about that? And, you know, there are a few things that, again, you'll learn what it looks like for you, but... Um, you know one thing that I used to love telling the students is surround yourself by people who believe in you more than you believe in yourself because I used to know all the way throughout doing Destiny, Timo and Sharon and you know all of these guys believed in me way more than I believed in myself every time they used to send me on an outreach to lead and it was like I would properly freak out every single time and um, come and sit down with myself like I can't do it and I'd come up with this list of reasons, and like there weren't really reasons, they were just like, I had no, there was no legitimacy in why I couldn't do it, it's just like, I can't do it. And it was all me just saying, because I'm not good enough, I'm not, blah, 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 blah. And actually they would just turn around and say, actually, but we believe in you, off you go. And they'd send me off, and I'd, you know, I'd get there and it'd be phenomenal and we had the most amazing times with Jesus, and I'd come back and sort of like, okay, you were right, and you'd learn, Okay. If that's what they see in me, maybe it's true. And so it really taught me to believe what people around me say and see in me more than I believe in myself sometimes. Because we're quick to say, we're quick to listen to fear. And often fear will sound like wisdom or pretend it's wisdom or it will pretend it's sensible. The amount of times that I, and now people preach it back to me, of, I'll say I won't do xyz because it's just not sensible. That's just not wise. And um <laughs> so recently I started doing this with um it wasn't really recently before Christmas there was this guy at work that I quite liked but do you know for me that was the idea of going on a date with someone was worse than being in a war zone. Like honestly give me bonds <laughs> no, I don't just put, genuinely like Give me bombs dropping <laughs> Give me a town that's surrounded by ISIS. I can do that. You tell me that I meant to be like going on a date with somebody. Just absolutely and you know, all of this, I'm joking about it, it stems from an awful lot of hurt from other things. But that's how I was feeling. So anyway, there was this guy and they were sort of actually Linda you should just get to know him, you should just go out for coffee. And I'd be sort of like, That's not wise, that's not sensible and eventually they turn around to me and I'm sort of like, Linda. That's fear masquerading as wisdom, Uh because that's what I used to say to them all the time, and they'd start preaching it back to me. And actually, now I am dating this guy, and it's going very, very well. Um, But, you know, sometimes it takes courage to listen to other people, not your fears. It takes courage to actually listen to the people around you. So just before I came here today, I was with my director almost in tears and saying, like, I want to give up on this thing, and he actually just turns around and says, like, I believe you can do it, so I'm not going to let you. And like I hate it because in me I know that I preached this I know that I was probably going to come and tell you this today and then I have to learn to live it and it feels uncomfortable and it feels like he's asking me to do something that I can't do but actually am I willing to listen to a man who I know walks with Jesus and has done for a long time and is good at pastoring and leading people or do I just want to listen to my fears and so do you know that's one thing or do you know surrounding yourself by things that remind you of who you are so I know it's really simple, but, like, in my room at home, I surround myself with things that remind me of what he's done, of, like... And often, the things in my room won't mean anything to anybody. Like, there's random stones or flowers or things that I've picked up, especially from outreaches. Like, almost every outreach I did with Destiny, I'd bring something home that's in my room, and when I look at it, it reminds me of the testimonies. Like, it reminds me of what I've seen. So even... I remember one time we were in Ireland and we saw somebody... um you know, collarbone was completely healed, and they'd only just had it put in a cast, like, not in a cast, in a sling, like, that afternoon. And I remember he gave it, he signed it and gave it to us, and it was that, you know, keep mementos of what Jesus has done. It tells us in the Old Testament how often he told you to, like, build memorials, build kind of towers, because he knows how quickly we forget. Hmm. And I think he tells us to do that, not out of a, you know, again, no condemnation, but... The Israelites the, walked through the Red Sea, they had a tower of fire in front of them, a tower of cloud in front of them, they had manna falling to the floor every day and they still forgot. It's like, so I have a bit more grace for myself when I forget these days, Of actually if they could forget and it was that phenomenal, actually, it, you know, it's not okay, I still want to be in a position that I remember who he is and what he's done and... Do you know, Go read the story of Jehoshaphat, of when he actually goes and takes on that army in 2 Chronicles 20. And um, I love the series he goes through because this thing comes against him that he's got no idea how he defeats this army, it's too vast, it's too great. But he, number one, he seeks the Lord. And then if you go through like what his prayer looks like, the first thing he does is declare, like this is who you are, and starts to speak out, OK, this is who God is. And then he starts to work through, and this is what you've done and then from that place they then start to actually kind of be able to listen and be able to understand and make decisions based on who he is and what he's done rather than what they see right now um, so no matter where I go in the world there's just some things that I'll take with me if I want to be able to see things that remind me of who he is and what he's done rather than what I see because it's so often that we can just look at the storms around us um, so like one really really cool story in relation to that. Um, and it's fun. So my actually my national director has had a book release yesterday that actually I got to write a chapter of, which is kind of cool. And so this story is actually in it. And um, So I was in Rwanda a couple of years ago. One of these random stories of I was meant to go to the DR Congo. I didn't get visas. None of it worked. So the whole team went to the Congo, and I decided to stay in Rwanda by myself. <laughs> and so it was about... A week before I was meant to go, and I didn't know anybody in Rwanda, and I'd never been before, and I didn't know where I was going to stay, and everybody, again, the voice of wisdom was, Linda, book a hotel, at least for the first night. Linda, please, like, change your flights, just go home. Like, all these kind of really sensible ideas. And um, I just knew I wasn't meant to, so I didn't. And the only person I'd contacted, so when I knew I was going to Rwanda, I knew that Grandma June... 16 years previously had been to Rwanda so I asked her for her contact mm. and I emailed one woman and that was it I knew that I could put on Facebook does anybody know anybody in Rwanda and I know enough people around the world people would have known and I could have gone somewhere but I just knew like no I'm going to email this friend of Glamour June's. I'm going to leave it, I'm going to see what happens But anyway, you know, three months went past. I hadn't heard anything. So it was the week before I leave, and I still hadn't heard anything. It got to, like, four days before I leave. And eventually I got this email and said, I don't know if you got my last email, but I can't wait to see you. I'll be at the airport. And it was just sort of, like, perfect. (laughs) So um, I ended up staying with this family. So they took me in for two weeks. They took me everywhere. They arranged all these, like, random conferences and all this kind of stuff. I ended up speaking to, like... um, the law, like some of the lawyers and judges of Kigali and then I'd go into the middle of the bush and speak to like these women who had never seen a Tupperware tub before like it was such extremes but it was just phenomenal what Jesus did in those just two weeks of just me making up life with him in Rwanda um, and it was just, it was, um, it was amazing but this one church they went to and we drove for three hours to get to this place and they were told that the women were walking for hours to get to it so they must have come from like, you know Who knows where. And this church was half finished, so it only had half a roof because they hadn't been able to afford the other half. So it was like mud walls and half a roof. So you're sitting there, and you know, African sun is hot. So throughout the day, they're sitting there with their umbrellas up because the sun's coming through because there's no roof. Or they start to, you know, as the sun moves, they move around the room with the sun to try and protect themselves. And I'd been telling them this story of, you know, it talks in Psalm 1 that god laughs at the plan of the enemy like he scoffs the plans of the enemy like and i just think that's a real key thing of actually if that's what he thinks then actually that's probably what i should think too and i was telling them a story of just when we're young we get really scared of storms don't you how many kids that when there's thunder and lightning going off they get really scared because it's loud and it's you know it's flashing and it's not what they're used to and so it scares them And I think that actually what we do is we start to watch our parents and realise actually they're not scared of it. And we learn from the people around us and from watching them that actually if they're not scared, I don't need to be. And so what if we did that with Jesus, that actually in the midst of the storm, I don't look at the storm and freak out or every time it bangs I scream. I look at his face and see what he's doing. And if the Bible tells me he's laughing at the storms and the plans of the enemy, then actually maybe that's what my response should be too. So I was telling them this story of, okay, do you know, when the storm comes, how about we look at his face? We don't look at the storm. What's his face telling you? And um, so I told this story, and then I sat down. And um, this storm starts then rolling around the hills of Kigali around us. Well, not Kigali, the things. So we could hear this thunder, and we could hear this lightning, and it starts to rain. And then it starts to rain over the church that we're in. And obviously only half a roof. So everybody squeezes into this one little section. And then the loudest bang ever heard in my life, this bolt of lightning comes through the hole in the roof and strikes the ground between me and the front row, which is only like, I don't know, a metre and a half away, and hits the floor in front of us. But instead of people being scared, because of what we've just literally, I've literally just finished talking, sat down, their response is just to laugh. Because they know who's in control. They know that actually, okay, you're laughing at the plans. Well, we're going to laugh with you. And actually it's, you know, so when storms come, whatever that looks like, am I going to choose to just look at what it looks like, or am I going to choose to look at his face and figure out, okay, what are you saying? What do you say about my circumstances? What do you say about me? And do I choose to agree with that rather than what I see or what I hear? And so if my word to know is the favourite word, my second favourite word in... um. I don't know what chapter it is Genesis something When it talks about how God believed Abraham believed in God And it was considered to him as righteousness The word is aman A-M-A-N In Hebrew And it literally means like To align myself with what he says to be true And I love that And that's how righteousness came It's like I believed what he says is true about me I believe it so I live it and like so much of everything we do whatever comes next you know uni, work, family it's do I believe what he says about me do I believe what he says about my life do I believe what he says about my sins do I believe what he says about you know my provision about whatever it is do I know what he's saying so am I listening am I actually taking time to listen do I believe it and if I don't believe it what am I going to do about changing it so that I do believe it and then live it out from there so I guess one, one final, final story. I actually have a tattoo on this foot that I got um, shortly after I finished my destiny That says beautiful. So we used to, again, I'm really good at sometimes talking about things that I don't fully believe myself and I think actually some of that is just part of the learning process. And um, I don't know if you've done it in this school but we'd often get people to look in the mirror and actually talk to themselves about, okay, who does God say you are? Can you look yourself in the eye and say it? Can you look yourself in the eye and say, and one of the things we used to say is, I am beautiful. Can you look yourself in the eye and say, I am forgiven, I am holy, I am worthy, I am valued, I am loved. Because we can often say it in a general context, but actually can you when it's just you and the mirror, or even when it's you, the mirror, and lots of people watching, can you honestly look yourself in the eye and say it and believe it? So we always used to get our students to do this, and it was really, really powerful. But I would always not do it. (laughs) (laughs) such a bad teacher Uh, but you know there was this one time and Hazani was one of my students at the time and um she sat me down afterwards and she was in tears and she said Linda the fact that you can't look yourself in the eye and say you're beautiful breaks my heart and if it breaks my heart what do you think it does to your fathers and I'm sort of like ouch (laughs) but she wasn't meaning it in a in that sense but it was like okay I kind of need to do something about that don't I and um So after a bit of discussion Do you know It was a process I was going through anyway Because it's something I've never believed So it's actually I was just the world's Expert at avoiding mirrors Like I can Go days Without actually Proper looking in a mirror Apart from To pick out things That I think are wrong So my hair's a mess Or this is a mess Or that's a mess Or I don't know What I'm doing with Makeup or blah 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 blah. Do you know this long list So I used to hate mirrors So like I'd never look in them Unintentionally Let alone on purpose Let me stand and stare at myself And um so it was something that, you know, I used to then start practising of, OK, I need to learn how to believe what he says is true, because <laughs> the awkward thing is as well, you know, he called me by name. My name actually means beautiful. <laughs> so it's like, OK. And so eventually, Sharon was just sort of like, <laughs> most pastors don't recommend this. Why don't you just tattoo it on yourself? So I did because, <laughs> and so people now will look at it and think i 've done it because of you know beautiful other feet that bring good news, nope, or like or because I think I believe it actually it 's here because most of the time i don 't believe it, and it 's one of the things that I struggle with believing most, so it 's the thing that actually i 'm going to do the most to try and counterbalance that. I have to see that every day. there is no getting away from looking at my foot, I can avoid mirrors i can 't avoid my foot, you know I can choose to ignore it sometimes. But it's one of those things of actually sometimes it takes a bit of intentionality, it actually takes a stepping out and saying, okay, I know that's not what it should be, what am I going to do about it um, and all that say, you know it's am I aligning myself with what he says to be true in my life, in the people's lives around me, whatever that looks like, for your lives it's probably going to look incredibly different to mine, you're probably not going to be in Syria or sat with drug addicts next week, but you know, whoever you are with They need to know they're valued. Do you know, people don't feel that they're seen these days. So one final, final, final story. I could talk all day, by the way. Um, I'd love to hear um, you talk all day. So years ago, I used to help with Young at Heart. Part of when I was an intern, what we used to do was I would help with the washing up at Young at Heart, so with all the old people. And um, I'd hate it. Like, I'm not... (laughs) I used to have this huge fear of being with women and with females because I wasn't very good at it. So, like, the fact I'm even with a house with two girly girls now would never have happened five, six years ago. Um, Because it just, it completely intimidated me because I didn't, you know, even the boys at work this morning, I was talking about how I'm going to go home and fix my shed tonight, and they're sort of like, Lindsay, you're such a tomboy. Just sort of like, I like things like that. Do you know, I grew up in the garden playing football because that's how I was brought up. My mum hates anything to do with being girly, so I just never learnt. So you put me in a kitchen with women, and I'm meant to be cooking, like I hated it. I didn't even know how to cut a carrot without feeling intimidated. So like every Wednesday I'd go and do this, and I hated it. It's like, but I also didn't really like interacting with people so as much as I love people like I wasn't very good at it so I'd just hide in the kitchen so I'd just do the washing up so that's all I did every Wednesday Is I'd serve them their food I'd do all the washing up and I'd hide and, um, but there was this one lady called Mary Earl who despite the fact that I always hid knew who I was and knew where I'd been and knew what I was doing so she'd always make a point of coming up to me and saying like Linda how was your trip to Kenya? How was this? How was that? I was praying for you. How was this trip? I heard that you were doing X, Y, Z. And um, she always knew what I was doing, and she let me know that she knew. And um, again, so I still really didn't know her very well, but um, at the time, I then lived with Andy and Sharon, so I just did everything with them. So the way they taught me is I was basically their shadow for two years of every single meeting they went to, I just went with them. Like, I just followed them <laughs> like a lost child <laughs> um so like even when they did hospital visits to people i didn't know i would often go with them so there was this one time mary was in hospital and they were something to come with us so we got to the hospital and the room was full of people from kingsway because she was really sick and she'd been in the in the church for like 50 years or something like at, by this age she was old and she'd always been here so um So this room was full of people. So I went and stood in the corner because I'm not secure enough (laughs) to actually think I belong anywhere other than in the corner sometimes. So I went and just sat in the corner. And um they started praying for him. They said, Mary, can we pray for you? And she said, Like, yeah, I'd love you to pray for me and um I know, before that, she'd stopped everybody talking, sort of, Linda, how are you? And she'd stopped the whole room from talking to look in the corner and say, actually, Linda, how are you doing today? I see that you're over there. I want you to know I've seen you. And so then we prayed for her, and she stopped everybody praying. In the middle of her, if the prayer for her, of just, Father, heal her, or take away the pain, you know, if she's going to come back to you, then, you know, blah, 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 all this prayer going on. And then she starts praying. In the middle of her prayer, she just starts praying for me, of just, I just want you to bless Linda and what she's doing, and blah, 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 blah. And it's like... She'd seen me, and she made sure I knew she'd seen me. And um, she actually then died the next day. And so, like, again, I don't really know who she is. I can't wait till one day I get to meet and tell her that actually... I tell everybody, you know, the amount of times I tell this story... Because I've got a dream list for life, and number 22, inspired by Amiriel, is like I don't want anybody to feel invisible in my presence. So if somebody's with me, do they know that they've been seen? Do they know that they've been valued? Because actually, it really is as simple as that. When you look through the Gospels, Jesus meets people at their lowest point and lets them know, hey, I've seen you, when actually other people wouldn't take a minute. And sometimes it's the ones that look popular that actually are probably the ones that are unseen, or it's the ones that maybe life looks okay, but actually, do we stop to let people know, actually, I've seen you, I've cared, I've heard your story. Do we know the stories of the people around us? So again today, I um I sat and had coffee, and my manager I'm not sure was too keen on it, with a guy who's volunteered for the message for 28 years. He's in his 60s, and um, when he was in his 30s, he was a super smart engineer, physician, mathematician, but fell off a ladder doing a job and ended up with brain kind of trauma, and from then on has always had a um, memory loss, and so he could never go back to work, but decided after meeting somebody new jesus i will volunteer for the message so for the last 28 years he's volunteered for us three days a week he shreds paper he sorts things into piles but he's a sweet man and so like you know he loves jesus he loves talking about what does heaven looks like he loves you know talking about his wife and his kids and his grandkids but actually for most people he's the slightly weird man who just likes going around hugging the women because it can be slightly inappropriate um but like do you know I wonder how many people have actually stopped long enough to hear his story. Do you know, like, does he know that he's seen by anybody at work? Mm. And if not, what am I doing to make sure that he's seen? And so, do you know, wherever you are next week, see people. Like, it really is, like, look at the miracles of Jesus, look at the miracles of the disciples. So often it starts by he sees them, he notices them, and the kingdom comes in and things happen. But unless we give enough time to actually see people, unless we give enough time to notice them, we're never going to be able to step out because actually, unless you've seen them, you know, there isn't going to be the miracle that follows. There isn't going to be the salvation that follows because actually. Thank
0: you for listening to the I Destiny podcast. podcast. For further information, check out Um, www.idestiny.org.uk